So if I'm sitting here and I'm working with a borrower and saying, well, let's help figure out how to maximize the benefits available to you. I need to be looking at employee retention credit and PPP together to figure out how do I leverage this bill and the federal benefits to their fullest extent. And what that's likely going to involve is going to be using non-payroll costs for PPP so that I can boost the amount of payroll I'm using for the employee retention credit. Welcome to the Cloud Accounting Podcast. Today is December 24th, 2020. I'm Blake Oliver, and I'm joined again by Justin Alandian, CPA and partner at Aprio in Atlanta to talk about the Paycheck Protection Program. Justin, thanks so much for joining me again. Thanks for having me. It's it's great to be here talking about the latest developments as this is a very fluid process as we've certainly seen. On Friday, when we spoke last, the Republicans and Democrats were hammering out the final details of the stimulus bill, which is $900 billion, almost a quarter trillion of that is dedicated to the new updated Paycheck Protection Program, PPP 2.0, as I like to call it. And you gave us your top 10 items from the bill as it relates to PPP, what accountants and bookkeepers need to know. Now that bill was still being negotiated, and then there are some changes in the final form of this bill that was passed by the House and the Senate. So definitely want to talk about that. But first, there's now a question as to whether or not this bill will even be signed by the president. We were just assuming that would happen, that once the bill was negotiated, President Trump would sign it. But he has come out against some provisions in the bill. So what is the sticking point here? And you know, what are the odds in your mind as to whether or not this even gets through? It's an interesting one, Blake. I think we all thought that it was going to be, hey, can we get this through the House? Can we get it through the Senate? And the rest is a formality. And that certainly has not been the case so far. I think it was about two days ago that President Trump came out and, and basically asked Congress to revisit and restructure certain provisions within the bill as it was proposed, now referred to as the Consolidated Appropriations Act. 2021. And that encompasses this $900 billion package within it. The sticking points really at this stage seem to be the amount of funds that are being allotted for international support. And I'll kind of leave it at that. There's a variety of programs, Mm -hmm. but there's, I think it's about $700 million or so that is earmarked um, for for supports of other countries. And, And Trump didn't particularly care for that. He made it very clear on his position. And then further requested that the stimulus checks provided to American taxpayers, which is allotted at $600, and there's some phase outs with that, as we saw in the first round, be increased to $2,000. That seems to be the two areas, nothing PPP specific, but nonetheless, here we are once again with a larger political debate that is holding up further funding and modifications to the Paycheck Protection Program. So so are you confident that, that President Trump will ultimately sign this bill? Like, is it 50-50? How are you feeling? I don't know that I'm confident that it will be President Trump, let's say, that signs <laughs> this bill. I feel more confident that this bill will be signed. Uh, you know, Trump in, in his press conference the other day said it'll be signed by the next administration, perhaps, which may be him. Uh, <laughs> I, I think that certainly his confidence is still there that the election results will be overturned. But I think regardless, because this bill... Right, this $900 billion package 
is a component of the funding for the federal government for 2021. Something has to be signed. Right. They're going to run out of money by what Tuesday if they don't if they don't do something. That's exactly right. So something will happen. Right. PPP is there. It's got bipartisan support clearly as it's made its way through uh, the House and the Senate as well. It's not the Paycheck Protection Program that's the issue at hand. Those details have been ironed out. So will this happen? It certainly will be forthcoming when it happens to be determined. But here we are again, having to facilitate some of these other matters. I think with us only being you know approximately a week away from 2021. We'll see some changes as to how this will be passed and who will ultimately be the one signing the final enactment of the law. How does this impact this holdup? How does this holdup impact the forgiveness application deadline? Because I understand that for most companies, it's the end of the year. Or am I wrong on that? So, so, the, so it's a great question. Um, I'll, 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 I'll correct kind of what the deadline is, but it is one of the most common questions I would say that we receive which is when do I have to file my loan forgiveness application? Because right there on the form itself, it says it expires on December 31st. That just has to do with when, the, when it needs to be updated. And it's a, it's a great question. We saw that originally that was June 30th and it was October, November, December. A business has any time on or before the maturity date of their loan to submit a loan forgiveness application. What does the maturity date mean? Well, if the loan was received prior to June the 5th, that's two years. And if it's on or after June the 5th, it's five years. So there's a lot more time than people think as to when they have to apply for loan forgiveness. And with this deferral of repayment that has changed, right, that's 10 months after the end of a 24-week covered period. So the earliest repayment is probably about August of 2021. So there's sufficient time to get an application submitted. And and Blake, I'm sure where this conversation is going to go, we'll talk about what are the other things businesses should be focusing on instead of submitting a loan forgiveness application, because there's more time-sensitive matters that would allow for increased liquidity for small businesses. So it sounds like it would be prudent at this point to hold off, especially since this legislation, the PPP stuff is not at issue. It's being held up by other demands. It'll get through eventually. It just, the question is, will it happen in December? Will it happen in January? That, that's right. And I'll, I'll, I'll tell you, certainly um, in some of the conversations we're having with lenders, there's some discussion about just pausing on receiving loan forgiveness applications. We'll talk about origination. We'll talk about some of the other benefits that came, or at least I hate to say final bill because it's not yet signed. I'll, <laughs> I'll call it the Congress approved version of the bill, uh, which looks different than what we saw in the proposed text a week ago. So let's talk about that. The differences between the proposed text, as we discussed on Friday, and less than a week later, what we actually got out of Congress. What is different? Sure. So there's a couple really key differences here all of which are favorable for small businesses, in my opinion. Let's start with, I guess, an update to some of the items we already saw in that proposed bill, Uh, starting with simplified forgiveness applications and process. I know, Blake, you love that one. I know our small businesses and those that are supporting small businesses all like this one in particular. What we saw in the proposed bill was that there was two versions of simplified forgiveness. For loans $150,000 or less, it discussed this submission of a one-page form with borrower certifications, and it didn't say anything further about documentation. And then it had this simplified forgiveness for loans $150,000 to $2 million, 
it would alleviate some of the documentation requirements. As it comes through now in this, what we anticipate to be the final bill, um, or what at least as it relates to the PPP components of it, changes both of those segments. What it did was remove any reference to loans 150000 to $2 million. They're going to follow the application process as they have and what's in place to date. But for those loans that are $150,000 or less, not only is it a one-page form, but it is now outlined in this bill, doesn't require the submission of any documentation whatsoever. That's a big deal when we're talking about four and a half million loans of the, out of the total 5.2 million for PPP that fit within that, that size standard. So essentially, I am making a certification that the funds were used for the purpose as intended in the bill, which has also been expanded as we discussed. I send that in to my lender and they submit that to the SBA. And it sounds like there wouldn't really be a whole lot of reason for those to get rejected. That's certainly what it would appear, right? Uh, if you look at it, well, what it indicates here, and, and this is concerning it certainly for the lenders, and I think everybody to think about the logistics of how this plays out. This is a new application. I, I know last week we spoke and said, will this be the expansion of the current Form 3508S, which is that application currently available for use by borrowers 50000 or less? That has documentation requirements that must be submitted. The way in which this bill reads, it's a little bit different. What this is going to indicate is you would actually provide an estimated amount of qualifying payroll costs. Mm, and it so doesn't it ask- even have to be exact. Doesn't even have to be exact. It uses yeah. the word estimated. And then it doesn't require the submission of any documentation. So certainly for records keeping and all PPP, there's a document retention period of six years from the date the loan is forgiven or repaid. So you need to still maintain the records because the borrower is responsible and making certain certifications, but that changes the whole processing ability once it's submitted to a lender and then ultimately to the SBA. So that should be expedited greatly throughout this process. We just have to wait to see a new application be put forward if this bill passes or when this bill passes. And then later for all of those lenders that are using portals, it's a little bit more burdensome to get those updated. So the time period in which this may be available is going to relate to or depend on an application being made available, procedural notices being issued to the lenders on how they facilitate it, portal systems being updated, tested, and then ultimately, then they can start receiving these new loan forgiveness applications. And that's not only for these that are $150,000 or less, that's also going to be part of that criteria for adding these expanded costs that are eligible for forgiveness. So the, the rollout of this is going to take a little bit of time. So there we have it. Vastly simplified loan forgiveness for under $150,000. It's going to be exactly the same as the current process for $150K to $2 million. What else has changed since we last spoke? So the other one that I would say is significant, and I can't, I can't emphasize this one enough, is the employee retention credit. This was not mentioned. The word retention, I'll tell you, in the original 525 pages was only used twice, and it wasn't referring to the employee retention credit. What this provides now is an opportunity for it to be leveraged by PPP borrowers. Prior guidance indicated that you could not obtain a paycheck protection program loan and leverage the employee retention credit. Let me pause you there. For those who are not familiar... What is the employee retention credit? So the employee retention credit 
is a credit on payroll taxes. And it's based on, as you hear it in the name, retaining your employees. So there's a specified calculation on a per employee basis. There's certain caps and limitations. Following those rules, and I'll tell you a little bit what those are, allows you them to get a payroll tax credit that gets filed on their quarterly payroll tax return. There's some changes to that program and expanded eligibility. So if you look back to 2020, and I won't go too far down the details, if you go back to 2020, you had to show that you had a 50% reduction in revenue or have been impacted by government orders, shutdown orders and things of that nature. And then there would be this calculation you'd go through to determine the amount of credit you'd be eligible for. For 2021 and going forward, that revenue drop is now going to be 20%. So that's a big change right there. And again, for shutdown orders and things of that nature, that applied to a lot of businesses. But the big thing here is it can be leveraged by PPP borrowers, and that's up to $7,000 per quarter per employee. So we're talking really big dollars in addition to PPP forgiveness. Now, to hit that $7,000 per employee, I have to be, as an employer, paying that much in payroll tax for that employee to get that credit back? It's, it's based on wages. So that the maximum is based on $100,000 salary. I think we all know about the 100000 limitation with PPP. Same kind of an idea. So the way it works out in that $7,000, it's a little bit different uh, on the caps for 2020 than it is for 2021. But it's $7,000 would assume that you're using... salary for one person, that would be the amount that they would be able to take in a payroll tax credit for that particular employee. And and you said this is going to be available in 2021 if a business has suffered a 20% decline in revenue? Or have been impacted by the shutdown order. So it's it's an either or, it's not a both. If I'm using a payroll service, is this the sort of thing that they would generally calculate for me? So I contact them and, and they help me? So you can certainly contact a payroll service. They've been they've familiar with it. Logistically, it gets carried out on the Form 941. That's that quarterly payroll tax return that's filed. But, but Blake, I want to make, be clear. Not only is it for 2021, you can go back and amend 2020 quarterly payroll tax returns and, and catch up on these credits that you didn't take advantage of. Wow. The, what I would caution on going to a payroll service provider they can carry out the logistics, no doubt about it. They can help with the forms. This changes strategy because you cannot use the same wages to obtain employee retention credits that you're using for forgiveness. Oh, that's interesting. So the PPP was previously unavailable if I took the employee retention credit. It now is available, but I have to use different wages to claim it. That's right. So if you think about this, and I'll use two kind of examples to just generate some thought processes on what this may mean. Let's think about the wages that you report on a PPP loan forgiveness application, at least up until this point in time, albeit those are subject to change a little bit. We were reporting wages for all individuals who are employed during this covered period, which could be 24 weeks, and that could be well in excess of the forgiveness amount. So that incremental amount of wages could then be in turn used for calculating the amount of employee retention credit available. What this can also do, like that's that's even bigger, that changes strategy is we had been speaking with borrowers. I know lenders also had encouraged borrowers to consider using payroll costs only when applying for 
loan forgiveness because it simplified documentation requirements, a lot easier to tie back to a payroll report than gather all of this non-payroll documentation. Strategy is now different. Right. Because now I can use non-payroll costs expanded under the bill that is pending the signature of the president. That's right. So we had the old cost, right? Utilities, rent, and an interest that we could use up to 40% of eligible costs, not 40% of loan amount, 40% of eligible costs could be on these non-payroll costs. That's now being expanded. Just as you noted there, Blake, there's four new types of non-payroll costs. So if I'm sitting here and I'm working with a borrower and saying, well, let's help figure out how to maximize the benefits available to you. I need to be looking at employee retention credit and PPP together to figure out how do I leverage this bill and the federal benefits to their fullest extent. And what that's likely going to involve is going to be using non-payroll costs for PPP so that I can boost the amount of payroll I'm using for the employee retention credit. Wow. Great insight and interesting strategy. Thank you for sharing that with our listeners. It's one when we saw it buried in the bill, I think it was in, you know, toward the 4,400th page uh, <laughs> on this bill where we came across this. And, and there'll be some further logistics to be coordinated. All right now, all we know is you can't use the same wages. Right, right. Tactically, how that's going to roll out is yet to be determined. But you, know, you asked this earlier, Blake, about you know, not focusing on forgiveness right now. I'm putting that on pause because the, the fourth quarter payroll tax returns due by January 31st. So I need to transition and start thinking about the employee retention credit that may be made available. How does this work? What do I need to do? Then come back to my strategy with PPP because I've got, as I mentioned earlier, up to at least two years before I have to apply for forgiveness. So this one was actually kind of stopped us in our tracks for a moment, had to rub our eyes and say, is this real? Because the dollars that are at stake here are significant when we think about benefits to small businesses. Really significant. $7,000, up to $7,000 per employee per quarter. So if I'm one of those businesses that's at the upper end of the Paycheck Protection Program spectrum, 300, 400, 500 employees, I could really see a huge benefit. And you're saying I can go back and amend my 2020 payroll tax filings? That's right. And, And if I do that, is it a refund? Or is it just a credit against future payroll taxes? So great question. We haven't seen the logistics of how that will work out yet. Now that we're doing this big catch up. Certainly for those, if if you're thinking about your fourth quarter, 941, and then the early stages of 2021, that credit that we're getting back may be more than what's even due on a upcoming filing of the payroll tax forms. And so we've got to see how that plays out logistically. You know, what what I haven't fully understood, and maybe Congress didn't yet either, is you can't necessarily quantify this. When we allot specific funds to PPP, we know how much the federal government's willing to spend. Because the employee retention credit is calculated and leveraged by, and it's driven by the actual employer, not the federal government, the magnitude of how many dollars we're talking about in savings here is going to be to be determined. Oh, yeah. That brings up an interesting question. So is the amount of the employer retention credit that can be claimed inclusive or included in this new PPP funding amount? It is not. It might be that Congress had no understanding what they were allocating funds for and how much. It could be a lot of money. 
It can be a lot of money. I mean, we've been talking to a variety of, of businesses and when they're looking at these credits, we're talking hundreds of thousands of dollars. Per business. Yeah. It per could be business. as big as the entire original program, which was, yeah. I mean, so far, how much have we spent on PPP? It's like over half a trillion dollars, right? Yeah. We're sitting here. I think we're at about 525 billion or so that has been yeah. lended lent to date uh, and here we are coming back with with almost 300 billion more in round 2 and that may be uh, a very different figure when you then encompass the benefits to those businesses that can leverage the employee retention credit. So it's one to pay attention to. It's one that we're working on a ton with our our clients on, making sure that the education's there, making sure that they don't just want to get to forgiveness first, and then they've submitted and already used those payroll costs for forgiveness. And then they're disqualifying them for the benefits of employee retention credit. So it's, it's, it's a huge, huge item. It is one that's certainly worth pausing and pivoting on strategy to say, how do I maximize benefits instead of rushing to get loans forgiven? So anything else that we need to know before we hopefully disconnect for a couple of days? The, the last one I'll mention that is just kind of within this same wheelhouse is for those that are serving medical providers. There's this other allotment of funding that came from the CARES Act called the Provider Relief Funds. And there's even more funding coming out in this uh, stimulus bill. That's yet another, what I'll call a vertical, to be considering in this strategy if if you're dealing with medical providers. Because once again, the funds were placed. You don't apply for forgiveness the same way you do for PPP, but you report back to the Department of Health and Human Services on the use of funds. And if you don't use them, you have to return them. Well, included there are some of the same costs. We've got payroll again, and we've got some of these other non-payroll expenses, particularly as you think about worker and customer safety and, and, and measures that were implemented within a, a dentist's office, for example, in order for them to accommodate social distancing. So f- for those, again, in the, in the medical profession or advising those that are in the medical profession, it's Paycheck Protection Program, Employee Retention Credit. And provider relief funds all should be evaluated in the aggregate to determine the best strategy to maximize the benefits of the associated employer. I've got one last question before I let you go, which is, uh, you know, are are you going to be working straight through the holiday or are you going to take some time off? And if so, you know, how are you going to relax? You know, the one thing that I've certainly learned here is PPP does not sleep. Uh, so, 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 you know, it's, it, it's to be determined here, you know, we're going to go spend some, some, some time back with, with my children here that, that they're certainly overdue for as the project protection program we have certainly absorbed a lot of time. So we're going to spend a little family time this evening, uh, see, see what Santa has for everybody under the tree in the morning and what's in store, I guess, as we hit December 26th and the rest of the year, as I'm sure there'll be some further movement on the stimulus bill before year end. Well, I hope that Santa Claus brings you a wonderful present of a final signed bill so that we can at least put that aspect of the Paycheck Protection Program to rest. Happy holidays and uh, Merry Christmas to you. Same to you. And I think that that would be a present from Santa for 5.2 million borrowers across the country. 